The NFL football season is in full swing. Uh, we were in a series entitled Game Changer, working our way through different sections on the Sermon on the Mount. But the NFL football season is in full swing, he all headed towards February 13th. We're somewhere between 100 and 120 million people will gather for the biggest TV event of the year. And I'm told there'll even be a football game amidst the Super Bowl commercials, right? The average commercial will last 30 seconds and cost over $5.5 million. So a company that wants to get involved in that, or if you'd like to do that, you know what the price will be. And if you're fortunate enough to land a ticket to the big show, if you were to step out of the action and go to the concession stand for a few minutes and buy a hot dog, nachos, and a soft drink, it will set you back over 30 bucks. But in the line, you're probably wondering what's going on in the game. So as you make your way back to the seat, no doubt you would glance up at the scoreboard to see what you missed because the scoreboard has all the answers. That's why it's called a scoreboard. When the game is over, fans take pictures of the scoreboard, especially if their team won. I'd love to have a picture of the scoreboard of Alabama getting beat yesterday, right? But your eyes are fixed and drawn to that to find out who the winner and who the loser is. In the Super Bowl, as in life though, there are no ties. You either win or you lose. Today we come to a section on the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus digs into a topic that we need to hear about but we often don't like to hear about. All right, you won't have to, like we're at the beach, you won't listen to me. But he's going to talk to us about money and how we accumulate and keep score with the treasures of this world. If you have your phone app, your Bible app, or your Bible with you, and I possibly think I printed it on the outline, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus addresses this head on. And I want to look at two questions, divide our talk into two different questions. And the first one deals with a heart test, a heart test. And the question is, where do you store your treasure? Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 19, Jesus says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store for yourself treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And the last section of that says, For your treasure is there, is where your what is. Your heart will be also. Mark Moore says in the first century, wealth was not accumulated in bank accounts, but they would have caches of precious metal or clothing wardrobe. And that's why Jesus says, don't store treasures where moth and rust will destroy. He's talking to them. In other words, he wants them to see that worldly riches are a poor investment, but Jesus covers all the bases. And when it comes to thinking about our possessions in this world, I want to look at the world's temporary perspective. How does society look at possessions? John Piper comments on this 
in his book, Desiring God, he says, all the evils in the world come not because our desires for happiness are too strong, but because they are so weak that we settle for fleeting pleasures that do not satisfy our deepest souls, but in the end, destroy them. The root of all evil is that we are the kind of people who settle for the love of money instead of the love of God. One of the most misquoted sections of scripture is the one that says the love of money is the root of all evil. For many people come back and say money is the root of all evil. That's not what Jesus says. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. Paul gives warnings to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 9. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For he brought nothing into the world and will take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. If you think about it, we are constantly reminded of the uncertainty in life, the uncertainty of the stock market, the uncertainty of gas prices, how many are aware that Facebook crashed last week? In the amount of time they were down, they lost over seven, $70 billion. We're reminded of the uncertainty of finances in this world. We're reminded of the vulnerability of safety and security of our nation. And we're even reminded every single day about the uncertainty of our health in the midst of the virus. Solomon says, Proverbs 23, 5, cast but a glance at riches and they're gone. They're uncertain. They will surely spout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Jesus warns in Luke 12, he says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. It was theologian Zwingli who said, if you possess something that you're not willing to part with, then you do not possess it, it possesses you. It's a story told back in 1987, true story. It was a commuter flight from Portland, Maine to Boston. The pilot heard an unusual noise in the back in the, re in the rear of the plane, so Henry Dempsey turned over the controls to his co-pilot and he crawled back to the tail section of the plane to see what was going on. The plane then hit an air pocket. Dempsey was tossed against the rear door because the original noise, the original sound and alarm within the cockpit was the, door had, the rear door had not been latched properly. So the weight of Dempsey's, the weight of his body hitting that door opened the door, causing Dempsey to be sucked out of the jet. The co-pilot then saw the red light, indicating that the door was opened. He radioed the nearest airport, asking for permission for an emergency landing. He reported that the pilot had fallen out of the plane. He wanted a helicopter to begin searching that area. And after the plane landed, the ground crew found Dempsey holding on to the outdoor ladder of the aircraft. Evidently, what happened was, when the door opened, he somehow had the wherewithal to grab a hold of the ladder outside of the plane. 
The plane was flying at 200 miles per hour in an altitude of 400,000 feet. He held on for nearly 10 minutes. When the plane landed, he had a 12-inch leeway from his head, not bouncing off of the runway. My favorite part of the story is the conclusion. It took the airport personnel several minutes to pry Dempsey's fingers from the ladder. Can you imagine? Go ahead, let go. He's okay, let go, right? But he held on. And unfortunately, I have seen people hold on to money and possessions like that in life. They grab hold with white-knuckled intensity, and some of them never release it and never see the benefit that could be. Whatever owns us is what we serve. Later in Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Is it any wonder, Jesus says, don't treasure your treasure. If money defines you, it will destroy you. It will destroy you. But Jesus challenged us to hold tightly to the things of God, loosely to the things of this world. And when he talks about laying treasures up in heaven, that's where it starts. When we've seen the world's temporary perspective. What about the Christian's eternal perspective, our perspective? How do you begin to store up treasures in heaven? Well, Paul gives a list in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19, where he answers the question. One part of the list of how do you store up treasure in heaven is to be humble. He writes this in verse 17. Paul says, command those who are rich in this world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Second, he would say, depend on God. Depend on God. Paul goes on to say, do not put your hope in wealth, but put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God provides for us, wants us to enjoy all the blessing he gives us. As long as the backdrop is our hope is in God above everything else. Another way to store up treasures is to do good deeds. 1 Timothy 6.18, Paul then says, command them to be good, to be rich in goodness. Don't misunderstand that to think that we earn our way to heaven. It doesn't happen that way. Those who go to heaven go because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Go because of their hope in Jesus Christ. But good deeds, the things we do here, are ways to store up treasures in heaven later on. And then number four, be generous. Paul says, be generous and willing to share. Our attitude should be, what's mine is yours, and I'll share it with you. I'll share it with you. When we leave here today, you and I will have opportunities of all kinds to be generous to other people. Maybe it's with a family member. Maybe it's with a friend. Maybe it's with a server or a babysitter. Maybe it's open up your home to someone else. Maybe it's writing a check to someone in need. Maybe it's taking up God on his test to say, go ahead, tithe. Go ahead, give me 10% and see if I don't give you back a hundredfold of that. 
we've been passing out for some time, and I brought some today. The art cards, you remember these, you guys? They're up here on the table. You can grab one. But I encourage you, when you're generous to somebody this week, try to do something out of the ordinary. Um, just in the past couple weeks, it's been crazy, but I've gone through, like, Starbucks one time, and I forget where the other place was. Oh, Dunkin' Donuts, but I wasn't eating donuts, all right? This is coffee runs. But someone in front of me has paid for me, and, and that's just awesome. When that, do that, but say, hey, when they come by, tell them it's paid for, but could you hand them this? Could you hand them this? Just a little note of where your heart is and where you're coming from as you give. But do good deeds. Be generous. 1 Timothy 6.19, Paul says, In this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so they may take hold of life that is truly life. Be humble. Depend on God. Do good deeds. Be generous. All those are deposits in heaven. Then Jesus gives us the heart test, and he says, understand this, when Jesus defines you, he will direct you. Say that with me. When Jesus defines you, he will direct you. That's the heart test. The next is the eye test. What, where do you focus your attention? That's the question. Where do you focus your attention? Again to our text in Matthew 6, beginning with verse 22. Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Have you checked your vision lately? Not this vision. This vision. Your spiritual vision. I think every now and then we need to give ourselves a spiritual checkup with where our vision is in life, where we're focused in life. Jesus refers to a person later in Matthew as a person with an evil eye. That doesn't mean they're giving you a bad look or, you know, they're, they're an evil person. But what he means in that time and day was it was an eye of envy, an envious eye, an evil eye, a greedy eye. Jesus warns him and says, you make certain that your eye is nothing like that. In Ecclesiastes 2.10, Solomon says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. More and more in this life, I think we need to put some spiritual blinders on. You know, like horses, they put the blinders on the side of their eyes so they can't lose focus. With the way the world distracts us, ad agencies, marketers, media, the way it all tries to dictate our focus. We need to do everything we can to focus on Jesus because the target of materialism is a moving target. It never satisfies. Christian author Randy Alcorn wrote this. We ought to periodically take our kids to the junkyard to let them see the material things that people long for. We need to show them that these things that people long for and which were so important to people 10 years ago are now wasted in the junkyard. Everything the world has is temporary. Can you imagine that? Come on, kids, we're going to the junkyard to hang out today. 
That's one of the things with eye test. We want to make certain on what we focus on is the Lord. Hebrews 12, 2 says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. 2 Corinthians 4, 18, Paul says, so we fix our eyes not what is on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We used to sing, and I've sang for you before, and I know you love it when I sing. So we used to sing a song when I was a little kid in junior church. And it went like this. <clears throat> Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Because the Father up above is looking down with love. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. All right, some of you know that? You know that? All right, sing. If you know it, sing, sing it with me. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Because the Father up above is looking down with love. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. Isn't it strange that we remember that and we were taught that when we were this big. And yet, how essential is it that that message still rings true, so true today, that our eyes should be focused on Jesus and our relationship with him. Really, it comes down to that heart test, though. It's a heart issue. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Another true story, David Livingston was one of the first missionaries to go to the deepest parts of Africa. He poured his heart into sharing Jesus with those people, all in an effort to let them know what really mattered. When he was in Africa, he was there for decades, but he became sick and eventually died there. And an unusual thing happened when he passed away. Before his body was shipped back to England, where he was from, the natives tried to convey an appreciation for this man that taught them about eternity. You know what they did? They cut out, a, cut out his heart. They cut out his heart from his body. And they sent his body back to England. And they said this, his body belongs in England, but his heart belongs in Africa. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let me ask you a question. And it might take you a while to answer this. You might think about it and answer it now, but it might take you a while to get to the heart of this. If you were to die this week, where would they bury your heart? If you were to die this week, where would they bury your heart? At the office? On the ball field, at your house, 
at the church, at the bank, where would they bury your heart? Jesus says, what good does it if a man gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? And when we talk about heart, we've got to focus on Jesus in his heart. He gave his entire heart, his entire life to you and I. The one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the one who spoke the universe into existence, the one who had so much value, and yet he gave it all up for you and me. It's not a rags to riches story. Jesus is a riches to rags story. The God of all heaven left a perfect paradise to come to earth in the form of a man. Made in human likeness, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. Yes, even death on a cross. This morning as we do each week, take a cup of juice and a tiny piece of bread, but man, it's so much more than that. I ask you this morning to reflect on that question, where would they bury my heart? And in the same thought, reflect on Jesus' heart, his heart of sacrifice for you and for me, that he was willing to suffer and die on a cross so that we could live for all eternity. I'm going to pray and take a few moments to take communion, please. Father, we thank you for the lessons that Jesus gives us. God, some are pretty tough. This one, God, is one of the toughest ones. Because every day in this world, we're bombarded with the media, with marketing, with what the world says success is. But God, may we be constantly reminded that true success is a relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we praise you and thank you that you are willing to sacrifice him for us that he would leave the splendors and the riches of heaven to come to this earth to sacrifice and die on our behalf. Father, allow us right now to reflect on our hearts, where our hearts are with him, where they need to be. But in the same breath, God, thank you, thank you for your grace and your mercy and your presence in our lives in this world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.